0: Amen, Praise God. Well, like I said, you're in for uh, probably a little bit this morning in that I just, God has impressed in my heart a number of things this week that are paramount for us when it comes to the Word of God, that we would grasp and understand these truths and these principles so that our lives can literally be transformed by the power of the Word of God. And so... Exodus chapter 10. Now, we're gonna be considering today three demonstrations of God's omnipotence. God's omnipotence. His all-potency. He is all-powerful. God Almighty. So three demonstrations. History to date, Moses and Aaron have now been in the presence of Pharaoh Are you ready for this? 14 times. 14 times. Seven of those times are at God's command, get yourself unto Pharaoh. Go into Pharaoh. Go stand before Pharaoh. Seven times. Seven times by the request of Pharaoh calling Moses and Aaron back into his presence. We've seen the character of God being displayed. The character of God made manifest in that he is a God of pattern. A God of pattern. And pattern denotes a design. And design, it is denoting a purpose, a plan. And God has a purpose and a plan. And it's all centered around his character of love. God is love, thanks be to God. We've seen Pharaoh also has a pattern. <laughs> his pattern is not based on love. Pharaoh is a type of our adversary, the devil. And he is a liar. Pharaoh is a liar. He is deceitful and he has been crafty, and he is one who is instigating and initiating compromise. Up to date, we've seen eight plagues. Well, we've seen uh, there are a few more in this chapter. Number Number uh, eight and number nine actually are in the chapter that we're looking at. But we've seen water turn to blood. We've seen frogs. We've seen lice. We've seen flies. We've seen cattle, and really cattle of all types, right, horses, donkeys, etc., die that were there. We've seen dust thrown in the air that was disseminated throughout all the land of Egypt that would produce boils, so much so that the magicians could not stand before Moses and Aaron because of the severity of the boils, and so... We've seen a grievous hail with thunder and fire, and that brings us into chapter 10. And the front end of chapter 10 is the plague of locusts. Locust. Locusts that would be a swarm that would be so thick and so heavy, they would be everywhere like the frogs and a nuisance. When I was growing up in Southern California, we were very accustomed to grasshoppers. We would, as kids, we would go out and we would hunt grasshoppers because we also had large orb spiders and spider webs. I know because I had a paper route and there were small passageways that I'd have to ride my bike through and early in the morning, when I'm running my bike as fast as I can and I got that thing and I'd come around a corner and there are two shrubs and before I could even gain my faculties, I'd see the spider web, I'd see the big orb spider getting closer and closer to my face, and sure enough, on my bicycle, I would run that thing into the bushes, and I would jump, and I'd do a dance, and I'd be trying to find the spider on me. I mean, terrifying kind of stuff. Well, we would hunt grasshoppers in the daytime, catch them, and then throw them into the spider webs, and watch the spiders go to town. (laughs) Isn't that terrible? (laughs) But they were just little bitty guys, no bigger than the size of a cricket. you should see us running around trying to catch these things, you know, a bunch of boys. One day, on the side of my mom's house, we had cinder block fences, which, by the way, if you have grown up in the Northwest without cinder block fences, we're very sorry. Because as kids, five-foot cinder block fences are amazed through the network that, or through the neighborhood that you can learn to literally run the fences. And so we got, we got so good on the fences, we run all around and then hit spider webs and fall and so forth anyway. It's good times. One day on the side of my mom's house, there was a grasshopper on the cinder block wall. And I remember seeing this grasshopper, and we had to call all our buddies over. I mean, we're knocking on doors. you got to come see the size of this grasshopper. It's as big as my hand. And I am not kidding you as a kid, which my hand wasn't that big, but as a kid, we were like getting our fingers up as close as we could, So, but we didn't want them to move, and we were measuring, and it was literally from the thumb to the tip of our finger. It was huge. And I remember a kid not growing up in the church and in my mind, I associated that massive grasshopper with what locusts must have been like in Egypt. Where did that even come from in my mind? I have no idea. Somewhere along the line, I had been exposed to the Ten Commandments. It may have been Charlton Heston. I'm not even sure, but I remember thinking in my mind, wow, that must have been like the grasshopper locust that swarmed Egypt. And so, the eighth plague, the plague of locusts. And then we come to chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, where God is about to send darkness, <laughs> darkness upon Egypt. Will you read with me, beginning in verse 21? Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Father, in the next few moments, as we consider the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, Lord, may we be transformed by the truths and the principles contained within your word for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. 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 There is a, or there was a, time in an era, the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century, known as the heroic era of Antarctic exploration. And there was a captain who was part of the British uh, Navy and Naval Forces, Sir Ernest Henry Shackleton. He conducted three polar expeditions, and in these three polar expeditions, the first two, there were some... uh, monumental moments, but it was really his third expedition that was from 1914 to 1917 where he took his crew and the ship Endurance down to Antarctica. And on his way, his plan was to march on foot across the entire continent. But upon arriving down in the area of the continent of Antarctica, the sea ice that forms was so great that it literally swallowed the boat. And the boat was seized on all sides and could not move and ultimately was crushed by the expansion of the ice. And he and his crew spent uh, nearly six months on the ice. They survived, but there was tremendous difficulty, tremendous hardship, tremendous uh, anguish that they went through. But one of the most amazing anguishes that they went through, uh, Shackleton's uh, biographer wrote, It was the long polar night. The long polar night, you see, they ceased to see the sun from mid-May all the way through to the end of July. No sun, no light, darkness, cold, no warmth. In fact, it was stated in there, until you can feel the darkness, Even the explanation has no bearing. Driving some men to madness, the lack of light or sun. Now, over the horizon, they actually saw light. So it wasn't a total darkness. But there was a total darkness in Egypt. I'm reminded of a day that my wife and I spent a couple of years ago. We decided that it was a good summer day. We would put the top down on, our, on her cute little VW bug and we would go for a little date day on a Saturday. We tooled off. Imagine this big guy sitting in that little bug. <laughs> I had some cool shades on. And we were cruising into Washington. And we went up to Mount St. Helens and we went to the ape caves. I think we have a picture of the ape cave entrance Josh, if you nope, that's not the entrance. That's deep in it. There you go. There's the entrance. You walk down, and no kidding, as soon as you walk down the stairs, the temperature changed dramatically. I mean, it was like a 30-degree differential. We went from like 75 degrees, 80 degrees outside, and we went in, and we're like, it's 50 degrees down here. And it was cold, and it was damp. And it was kind of unstable ground, so we are walking, kind of had to hold her hand. It was like, hey, maybe I should hold your hand. <laughs> we made our way into the cave. And as we got deeper, show that other picture that you had up here. The light, if you had light, it was good. And you could see. But I remember when we turned lights off, legitimately putting my hand in front of my face and waving it, I could see nothing, not even a hint. It's kind of like this next picture. It was pitch black. Work with me, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Pitch black? I could have done a really cool effect and had the lights turn off at that moment, but I'm just not that clever. Anyway, imagine trying to see in the midst of the ape cave And there's nothing. And so, that's what it was like. That's the last of the ape caves, I believe. I believe. (laughs) Some say that deep in the ape caves, there's a family of Sasquatch. (laughs) Or there's a dude in an ape outfit, I don't know. Anyway. Pitch black! The ninth plague was darkness. It's been asked on a number of occasions why God brought the plagues upon Egypt. And the Bible has crystal clear reasoning for the plagues. Number one was to answer Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? God says, Through the plagues, I'm going to show you who I am, that you should obey me. To show the power of God through Moses, to show the power of God through his children. I believe that God wants to demonstrate his power to those who are on the outside through us, his children, even today. To give testimony to the children of Israel for future generations. It's our opportunity, it is our. Blessing to pass on the stories of God's power. Not only the biblical stories of a day in history, but of God's manifest power working in our lives today. Can I get an amen? Our children need to hear that God is still moving and he's moving in our midst I love the fact that in my life, my wife and I, in our personal lives, we have testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God and his manifest power being realized in our daily living. Just our day-to-day kind of stuff. God intervening. Some very natural things and some very supernatural things. Thanks be to God. Our children need the testimonies of the Lord to warn the nations, 1 Samuel would remind us, to be a testimony of the greatness of God to all Israel. Hey, the church needs to know. The church needs to know. In fact, so much so that we believe the leadership, the elders and the deacons and the pastoral team and our interns we believe that what will make Sunday different is the manifest power of God. Amen. It is a non, in a, in a society and in a time where virtual church can occur, there is something to be said about showing up and experiencing the very tangible power of God in the midst of a congregational setting. I come to church personally, not just because I'm the pastor. I come here because I know Jesus comes here. I come here because I know the Spirit of God is here. And I come here because all of the power of the universe, the power that generated and created and imagined the universe is right here. And he says, when we as living stones come together, we become, we become the dwelling place of God the Spirit. God is in our midst. And we need the miracle working power of God right here to transform our hearts and our lives in daily living. Come on. And so, the testimony in the church To show through the plagues, God himself is greater than any false god. Can I get an amen? And let me tell you, the false gods, small g, they are nothing less than Satan's regime. They are demonic forces, and they are not all powerful. God is. God is. And so through the plagues, he demonstrates The book of Numbers reminds us in the 33rd chapter in the fourth verse, it says, for the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn. You know after the 10th plague, which we're not at yet. The death of the firstborn. It says in Numbers, for the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. It's just a reminder. Through the plagues, he was demonstrating he is the supreme power, the supreme. He is sovereign, God's sovereignty over the universe. Praise be to God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, today's title is God's Omnipotence, Or if you want to say God's sovereignty, that works as well. So this brings us to the first of three demonstrations of God's awesome power. His supremacy over all gods, all powers, all authorities. He is supreme, supremacy Through the plagues, God shows himself as greater than any of the false gods of Egypt. And we've already heard and seen the Egyptian gods being dominated. My sermons, Pastor Matt's sermon, and some of the texts that we have not touched on Sunday morning, let me give you a quick list. He is greater than the god of Kunim, the guardian of the Nile. He is greater than the god Happy, or... Yeah, happy, he's probably not so happy anymore. He's happy, the spirit of the Nile. Greater than the god Osiris, who had the Nile as his bloodstream. Greater than the goddess Hecate, the frog goddess of fertility. Greater than the goddess Hathor, a cow-like mother goddess. Greater than Imhotep, the god of medicine. Greater than the goddess Nut, (laughs) who's a nut the sky goddess, greater than the god Horus, the god of the sunrise, greater of the god Aten, the god of the round midday sun, greater than the god Atum, the god of the sunset, and finally, greater than the greatest deity in Egypt's pantheon of God. God's, Amun ra Amun ra the solar deity, the creator of all. Greater than. And God's demonstrated his power over Amon-Ra in that he brought darkness, such darkness that it could be felt like those men who were out on that boat endurance that they ended up camping on the ice sheet of the ocean, they could feel the very emptiness of the lack of light. Like in those ape caves, I couldn't see and if I took and let go of my wife's hand, finding her hand again would be work because there's no visibility, aloneness, demonstrating his power. Jehovah, the supreme deity. And I, and I will tell you, for us, sometimes when we read the text and we gain the information, it's hard for us to comprehend because we do not understand the, their faith, their understanding of their gods. Amon-Ra They sang songs like we sing songs to Amon ra They wrote poetry like we have poetry to Jehovah. They had poetry to Amun-Ra. They had all of their books about their gods. It was their belief. It was their faith. The belief is that Pharaoh is the embodiment of Amenrah, ra in the flesh. He is the son of God. The physical manifestation of their God on earth. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And God was demonstrating to all Egypt his power. Who is God that I should serve him, Pharaoh said, God said, You're about to find out. You're about to find out. You let my kids go. <laughs> let my kids go. The ninth plague, the darkness could be felt. The scripture says, And there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did they rise from their place for three days. Apparently, in this thick darkness, he also demonstrated his power and his authority over the ability to light a fire, have a candle, have a lantern, no light anywhere. You imagine how frustrating that would be? You go to your little flint stone, and there's no sparks. When every other day in your entire existence, there's always sparks. Not anymore. No light. Powerful. God proved his sovereignty by blotting out the sun and all light amidst the Egyptians. Now listen. God did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians what he will do in our lives. He'll expose and he'll topple every false god. For the children of Israel later, he dominated over the gods of the Canaanites. The gods of the Canaanites, Baal, Molech, Mammon, Asheroth. And he will today demonstrate his power, his omnipotent power over every god of his children, every god that we set up above him. He will expose to us their weakness and his power over them. Lest we think that there's not idolatry, whatever your principal source of passion is, that can become a form of idolatry. If it has more importance in your life than your relationship with your Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Spirit of God who dwells in you, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And it's high time that the church of Jesus Christ repents Of its idolatry can I get an amen? Amen. I preached a sermon a couple of years ago out of Revelation chapter nine. The title of the sermon was They Repented Not. They Repented Not. Remember, Pharaoh now has confessed at least three different times. In fact, well, his, his third and ultimate time is Right now, hey, I've sinned. I've sinned. He has the right words, but he does not have the right action. Sometimes in the church, the right words come out, but not the right action. Words are cheap. Confession is not repentance, confession is necessary. Can I get an amen? We need confession. And I mean, we need to be able to share with our brothers and sisters, man, I'm struggling in this area of my life and we're not like going, well, shame on you. <laughs> I don't struggle with that. No, no. We should be encouraging. Hey, man, God wants to give you strength. Let's pray together. Let me help. I'll be in accountability. When you're struggling, give me a call. Let's get together. And that kind of relationship, we need confession. But what the church of Jesus Christ needs today is repentance. The turning away. I remember when I was a, when I was a young buck in Jesus, I was about 19 years old, and I remember going to Calvary Chapel and hearing a band play on Saturday night undercover. One of of my favorite songs that they sing is uh, I can't even think of the name of the song now. (laughs) Uh, Turn your head, run from sin, be born again. Turn your head, run from sin, be born again. That is the lyrics, and it is the idea of repentance. If my head is this way towards sin, turn my head and run from sin. That's repentance. And if there's an area of your life, an area of my life that we're struggling, the church needs to repent. It's not just confession, There's repentance. God's called us to holiness. Listen, you you read the prophecy that Zechariah gives. I believe in Luke chapter one. He says that we may serve the Lord. That's what the children of Israel want to do. Let us go so we can go serve God. Jesus gave us freedom so that what? We could serve the Lord, offer your lives, your bodies as living sacrifices. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. My life is worship. God provided for that, the liberty. And so, let us worship the Lord and give it all to the Lord. This message of repentance, chapter 9, listen, listen to the verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, it's the story of Egypt, the rest of Egypt who had not been destroyed in the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should worship or not worship demons, and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorcery, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. They didn't repent. Pharaoh didn't repent. So what does it mean to repent? It's not just being sorry. Sometimes in the church, when we're sorry, <laughs> we're just sorry we got caught. it has gotta be a heart thing, a heart thing. God wants to do that. Paul writing to the Ephesians, he said, "In past times you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air." Whoa, We used to just fall in line with the systems of Satan in this world." He says, he says, uh, "But now that you but even now, the works these now works. Even now, those works which work in the children of disobedience. We once were that. We're no longer that. I remember writing these notes and I, and I wrote the sentence this way. With so many, our love for the world competes with our love for God. Our love for this world competes for the love of God. And we miss Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. All this other stuff in the world. Hey, where are you going to sleep? What you're going to wear? What you're going to eat? What you're going to drink? All that stuff. God will take care of that. He takes care of the sparrows. You, are, you and I, we are worth much more than the sparrows. Hallelujah. God will take care of that stuff. Kingdom of God. And speaking of the idols... Of their day, listen, a person's God is the master passion of their life. A person's God is the master passion of their life. If pleasure is the master passion of your life, then you are a worshiper of Molech before Yahweh. Molech is the Canaanite God of pleasure. The children of Israel, if you don't remember, They offered their children as sacrifices on the altar of Molech, causing their children to pass through the flame, consumed for the worship of Molech and pleasure. That's how degraded the children of Israel became, far be it from the church, to offer for the purpose of pleasure, integrity, and the things that are right. If education and knowledge is your greatest passion in your life, then you're a worshiper of Baal over Yahweh. If that's your master passion, it's inordinate. Baal, commonly pronounced Baal. Baal worship. If the desire for power, authority, and control is the master passion of your life, then mammon is your God. You remember Jesus said you cannot have two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or serve the one and despise the other. You cannot worship both God and mammon. Doesn't work. If sexual desire control your life and is the master passion, then you're a worshiper of Asheroth. These are the same kinds of things that plague not only today's society, but it's in the church. Far be it from the church to be mastered by these things. God help us to be more than overcomers. They repented not of their worship of idols, their murders, their sorceries. Listen, their sorceries, are you ready for this? The word sorceries there, is pharmakeia, it's where we get our word pharmacy, drugs, 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 listen, if any drug controls your life, any drug controls your life, and you can't say no, then there is an involvement associated with demonic activity, believe it, it's real, it's real, Their sexual immoralities. The scripture calls it pornea. Pornography. Rampant in society. Shouldn't be in the church, but it is. It ought not be. And it's addictive. Every source that you have in your home, I wanna talk to the men for a moment. Your internet, your computer, your smartphone, your tablet, every access you have should be protected. It's free, no excuse. Lead in your homes. Every computer that your children have access to, every smartphone your children have, every tablet they have should be protected. It's free. Dads, lead by example. Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get a hearty amen? amen? It's time to win, and if I can't win individually, then I'm gonna win collectively. I need an army of men to stand with me. My boys and our home safe. I can't, <laughs> I can't even access. There's only I only have on my phone a handful of sites because I forgot the code. So even if I wanted to go in and try and change something, I can't. There's sometimes I can't get on Blue Letter Bible because there's an old site and a new site and if I try and go to the new site it's like it's not approved and I have to go and try and prove it. I don't know the number. You should be safe and you should be making your home safe. Wives, Ask the questions. How come come we're not, how come we don't have that? Get safe. Today. Does that make sense? Pornography, it's destroying relationships. You think, well, it's not harming anybody, it's just me. Yes it is, yes it is, yes it is, okay. God's got authority and power over. <laughs> I only have like six minutes left. Some of you are like, no, PD, you're uh, nine minutes over. <laughs> Come on. So, that Revelation sermon, super, super awakening again. So, his supremacy over all gods. It's over the gods of the Egyptians, over the gods of the Canaanites, and over the gods of today in your life and in mine. The second demonstration of his power is his sunshine over all Goshen. The text says, But the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Listen, light is a physical property, it's a physical property, it's the second thing that God created. And God said let there be light and there was light. It has physical properties in this physical universe. We live in a space-matter-time continuum and light exists in this continuum. It's a beautiful display of really the invisible qualities of our God. Romans 1:20, you should write that down and go memorize that scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. God's invisible qualities are clearly seen. God's invisible nature, even his Godhead being displayed by those things that he has made. Light being one of those. It's a physical property. And God demonstrated his power over the physical universe. This is so encouraging to me, and so it could be so encouraging to you as well. God has physical, God has supremacy over the physical universe. He can do what he wants. That means if you're here this morning, with disease in your body. If God can control light, he can certainly control DNA. He made DNA, remember he spoke into life. He's the one who invented DNA, and he knows yours. And he can heal, because divine healing belongs to him. So let's believe in the power of God, and let's believe God for his miracle working power. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he doesn't. When he does, we rejoice. When he doesn't, and we don't have the answers why, we simply trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, right? That's powerful. That's necessary. The children of God had light, the people of Egypt did not. Do you know that you and I, we have light also? You see, there is a spiritual principle as well. Just as much as light is a physical quality, it has a spiritual quality as well and it reveals some truths to us. The scripture Jesus says, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Let that light so shine. Aren't you thankful that light is more powerful than darkness? Can I get an amen? amen. Man, I, when I walk into a room that's dark and I flip on the light, the darkness flees. When I was in the ape caves and I couldn't see my hand, you click the flashlight I can see my hand. Darkness flees. Darkness flees. Light is superior. That spiritual truth is absolutely emphatic. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. Superiority. So he demonstrates this. All of the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on. and We'll hit the third one. The third demonstration of his power, the surrender of all my goods. I was going to title today's message as I I worked on point number three first. I wanted to call it no hoof hold. No hoof hold. Moses said no hoof will be left behind. No hoof. We're taking it all. We're taking everything. Compromise is not an option. Period. To which Pharaoh said, out of my face. If I see you again, you are dead. Get out. No. No. compromise. He said, you can take now your wives and your kids but you have to leave your stuff behind. Your stuff isn't part of it. And Moses says it's everything. It's like the rich young ruler. Good master, what must I be done, what must I do to inherit Life. Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is only one good, that is God. He says, But you know the commandments thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not honor your father and mother, etc., etc. He says, All these I've done since a child. And Jesus said, One thing you lack sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. And then you will have treasure in heaven. It's everything, guys. It's everything. And it's non-negotiable. All too often, there's something that we want to hold back. No, Lord, I don't want you to have lordship over this area of my life or this Unforgiveness that I'm holding against someone, or this bitterness that I have towards that person, this person, or that institution, or I don't want you to have control here. And so we compartmentalize our lives. No hoof hold. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 in the New King James Version says, Give no place to the devil. I really like the NIV translation for Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 because it says give no foothold to the devil. A foothold. It's a snare. A snare. Do you know that an animal in Africa that is being hunted, when it gets caught in a snare, there's a noose on the ground with a tension line that goes up and a tree is bent over like this. And that little gazelle walks in and he trips the wire and that tree goes ding, and that noose cinches up and it pulls him up by the foot his little tiny foot is snagged in the rope his horns are free his ears are free his little eyeballs are free his nose is free his neck is free his head is free his front legs are free his chest is free his midsection is free His legs are free. One of his feet are free. But the other one isn't. And because of the foothold, his whole body is a mess. Give no place to the devil. Listen, we don't own anything. We own nothing. The scripture says, Do not store up treasure on earth, don't. If materialism is something you struggle with, stuff, 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 could be the master passion of your life. But the scripture says don't store it up. It's not ours, it's his. We're stewards. We're nothing less than stewards. Let's be faithful stewards and let's do it God's way. Can I get an amen? Amen. Has anybody discovered that it's necessarily easy to do it God's way? I've not necessarily discovered that it is, but what I have found that when I do it God's way, it becomes easy because it becomes the norm. And when it becomes the norm, it becomes the blessing in my life, not like this weight I'm carrying around. Again, it has to do with if you're carrying a bucket of water, a five-gallon bucket of water on your head, you're gonna get pretty tired of that pretty fast. But if you jump in a swimming pool and you dive deep and you have hundreds of gallons of water on your head and you're playing Marco Polo, man, you're gonna be in the pool for hours having a great old time, swimming deep underwater, hundreds of gallons on your water. You'll never even notice it until you're it. (laughs) It has to do with your environment. If you're all in, what God calls us to do, they're not burdensome at all. But if you're not all in and you're just walking around with water on your head, that's, that's hard. Listen, it's all gods The surrender of all things, no hoof being left behind. The enemy wants us to hear his compromises, his compromises. Hey, you can, be, you can go worship, but stay in the land. Stay in, the, stay in the world. Live like the world lives. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus Christ did not die upon the cross at Calvary so that you and I would not be transformed in our living. We live in this world, but we are not from this world. We are aliens. We're sojourners. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are going home. We live in tents, and we're looking for a permanent residence. Like Abraham and Isaac and his sons, they lived in tents. They were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They're looking for their permanent residence, heaven. Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Be rich toward heaven. Thanks be to God. They took all their stuff because they didn't know what God was going to require of them when they got there. we got to have it all ready. Listen, if your stuff has you, you're not ready to give to the Lord. But if you are living right and you've got it all in order and your perspective is right and it all belongs to God, if God says, give it away, you'll say yes and amen. And it won't cost you anything because it's not yours Anyway. Does that make sense? Hmm. You know, it's that portion of scripture. Will you, will you turn with me and we'll end with this. Will you turn with me and Mark? Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. Somebody asked me this week, Do you ever read in the New Testament? (laughs) I thought that was funny. Uh, Mark 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running. I love that the man was desirous to know. He came running to Jesus. But Oh, you know what? I actually I, I want to keep your finger there and go to Matthew 19 also. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. Again, the rich young ruler. Hmm. Probably not going to get what I want. That's okay. Let's, uh, we'll read it in Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not... "'Murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, "'do not defraud, honor your father and your mother.' "'And he answered and said to him, "'Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth.' "'Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, "'Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said, "'One thing you lack, go your way, "'sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, "'and you will have treasure in heaven. "'Come, take up your cross, or take up the cross, "'and follow me.' "'But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, "'for he had great possessions.' Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Who trust in riches. It really is a lordship issue that we're talking about today the Egyptians had their trust in the gods of the Egyptians, the pantheon of gods. The Israelites at one point in time began to put their trust in even the Canaanite gods and not Yahweh. And you and I, we could have our trust in some other place than the Lord. I want to encourage you from the depths of my heart with me let's put our full trust in the Lord today. Put our full trust in the Lord in every area to bring victory in our lives over sin in every area, no matter where it may be, no matter what it may be. If it happens to be one of those things that I referenced in the sermon today, God has victory for you. Put your trust in him. Do the right things. Do the right things. Fortify your city. The scripture tells us in Proverbs, a man who's, a city whose walls are broken down is like a man who lacks self-control. If your walls are broken down, hey, build your walls back up. Build your walls back up. Fortify your city. Like, like the children of Israel, get, get an army. Like Nehemiah, get an army. And let them build the walls with you with a, with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. We can build walls together. Can I get an amen? We can help each other. We can strengthen each other. We can win. We can overcome. Praise the Lord. It's a lordship issue. Have you surrendered all? Have you surrendered all? The Holy Spirit reveals something to you. Maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a complaint that you have against someone. Maybe you're maybe you've compared your life to somebody else's life and because of that you have emotions and you're not willing to yield them to the lordship of Jesus because you want to retain them. I don't know what it is. And maybe it's something completely off the scope of anybody's understanding here. Jesus gets it. He understands. He understands. Maybe it's, maybe it's something in the physical realm. It's not just up here in the battlefield of the mind, but maybe it's just in the physical realm, and we mentioned a number of those. Maybe you're just enamored with your house. You're just like, I love my house, man. I got the coolest house in the block. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's your car. I don't know. It's things they made with wood and steel. So we make things out of wood and steel today. Just have, the steel ones have four wheels most of the time. Or sometimes they have no wheels, but they have propellers. I don't know. But let's put God first. Let's put God first in the stewardship of our lives. Uh, we can stand this morning. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. People ask about stewardship. And when we talk about stewardship, all, most often we're, people think, oh, they're going to talk about money now. It's money. Here's the thing. Money actually is the litmus paper. It's the litmus test. Because everybody here deals in commerce. Everybody here, most of the guys probably have a wallet, most of the gals probably have a purse, and you have some form of commerce in that pocket or that purse. You might have a debit card, you might have a bank card, you might have a, credit card, you might have cash. Anybody still use cash? (laughs) You you have a way of doing commerce. The commonality of commerce is here in the room. We're going to discover as we go through the book of Exodus that God's way is peculiar and God's way is different, but God's way is best. The rights of the firstborn he, He give us... Rules associated with, you know, when, when there's the first passing of an animal through the womb of an animal. If it's a male child, it belongs to the Lord. If it's a male animal, it belongs to the Lord. And if you want to keep it, you have to offer sacrifice for it. No sacrifice. You don't get the animal. It belongs to the Lord. We don't get that. The law of the first fruits. And the scripture tells us when it comes to our finances, the first fruits belong to the Lord. The prophet Malachi, he said to the children of Israel, Can a man rob God? You rob the Lord, he said, in your tithes. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the church. It belongs to the Lord. If we can't, and the thing that's most common with us in terms of our daily living and our commerce, if we can't be faithful with that, how will God entrust to us the more important things of the kingdom of God? Souls. Everybody here wants to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to see people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Let's be faithful administrators of the things that belong to the Lord so the things that are of real value in the kingdom of God, souls, would be entrusted to us. Does that make sense? I mean, that's important. It's important. It's the litmus test. I would love, we don't talk about money very much at Hillside. It's common. And it's what belongs to God. Can I get an amen? And it's not just 10%, by the way, right? Everybody realizes it's 100%. He just, he says, 10%, that's mine. You don't get a steward over that. That just, first fruits go. The 90%, that's yours. Steward it well. Steward it well. And God will entrust to us the more expedient and the more valuable things in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. As, as we look at Pharaoh's life, as we look at Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel, God, you are, you are making a distinction. And there is a distinction between the children of God and those that are yet followers of Jesus. The church is different. And we come under your lordship And God, when we do things your way, when we learn your ways and when we put into practice your ways, your word says that we will be maximally blessed. I certainly know in my life with uh, Kim and in our faith and our children, Lord, I know we have experienced it to a measure. And every day we want to experience it in a greater measure. So teach us your ways everlasting. Lord, will you show us as a fellowship your goodness and your greatness in the land as you Demonstrate your sovereignty over not only this physical world but the supernatural realm as you demonstrate your power and sovereignty and omnipotence over the forces of wickedness in this world and that we can say no, we can bring our bodies into subjection, we can live self-controlled life and say no to sin and temptation and we can walk with all of our stuff completely stewarded to you and for your purposes and we get to enjoy until we see the great appearing of our glorious God and Savior, Jesus. So God, come, come quickly, and we ask your blessing. Lord, if there's repentance that needs to occur, God, may we repent. If there's anyone in the house who is yet to give their heart to Jesus and say, yes, today I want to come, and I want to have my sin forgiven, and I want to come under the grace of God, we pray, God, that they would come forward and uh, meet one of the pastors here at the altar this morning. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask your blessing and benediction. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said a strong amen. amen. Go in the grace and power of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you.